This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Ryan England, and I'm excited about today's guest because he shares a passion very similar to mine in helping contractors, staff with great people, build great processes and build amazing companies. He's an author, speaker, consultant, and an entrepreneur. And he actually retired before the age of 50. So I'm pretty sure he knows what's going on and he's got some of this stuff figured out. He's got a book out and he is known as sharing his wisdom of the seven power contractor system. Al Levy, I want to welcome you to the show today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Always great to meet new people virtually. Well, I have a lot to share. And, you know, Ryan and I have been talking back and forth here today, and it's amazing we're on the same page. And we've got a lot to share. So pull over to the side of the road if you're listening, because <laughs> we're going to blow your mind. Notes, right? Yeah, yeah, take some notes. You're going to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. So, Al, tell me biggest myth of the industry. What's your thoughts on that? The biggest myth in the industry, especially right now, you know, post-COVID, middle of COVID. I don't know where the end, beginning of COVID is anymore. I don't know uh, how you bet that out. But here's what we do know is that it's not about a shortage of work, which reminds me of back when in the late 90s, actually 2000 in the dot-com era. If the accent is a little bit still there from New York, I can share with you that it got to a point that people started to say to me, how soon can you start instead of how much? That's how crazy busy. So this cycle has come and gone. And what cycle am I referring to is I can't find great help. I got all the jobs I could ever need. I can't find great help. And yes, it's more difficult. No question about it these days. But this too will come and go. So what are you going to do to change the dynamic? This is really the biggest focus I want to share with everybody today is this myth about I can't find great tech. Well, I have an answer for you. And you're not a test driver. I have test driven it everywhere. Yeah, you know, that's something I'm really passionate about too is helping these guys find great techs. And, you know, we definitely have a different approach, which I love because some people are going to resonate with one over the other. But, you know, there's so much truth in what you say. And I think that it's human nature for us to have short-term attention spans and short-term memories. Because I think for the last 50 years, the trades have been struggling to find good people. And like you said, it comes and goes in waves. But I remember I read, I found an article written in the 60s about the labor shortage. <laughs> and if we don't fix it, I'm like, that was 60 years ago. You know, I think I shared the story with you, but I want to share with everybody else is my brother and I, my brother Richie, who was the outside, you know, hands of gold. My brother Marty was the inside guy and I was the bridge between the two. Richie and I go to a seminar and we're about 25 years old. And the guy on the stage is saying that the average tech is going to be 50 years old, 5-0. And I got to tell you, as a snotty 25-year-old, the two of us looked at each other and go, that is a horrible thing. We cannot let that happen because we already could see, you know, what was going on is, you know, you run out of runway as a tech, can't work forever at any level. And so it really opened our eyes to where this was going. And that is years ago, that was the case. So it's not new. This is something that comes and will go until you learn how to get in front of this problem. And it feels like it's becoming more and more of a problem or it's happening faster now. And I think that a lot of it is just we communicate so much faster. 
20 years ago, you had to wait for the newspaper to show up. And that was usually two or three days late. And now my phone's already had like six alerts since we started talking five minutes ago. The information travels so fast that it feels, I think it feels a lot worse than it really is because of that. I think you're right. There's no relief from it. There's 24-hour news cycle on my phone. I can get anything. We have our over-communication of methods. But it is a little different this time. So I don't want people to go, well, it, it's the same. It's not. But it's slightly different. Yes, there are some people that are, I don't know how you're dropping out of the labor market. I'm a little too old to get that. I woke up. I went to work. I got paid. And then my life changed. And so I don't know when that'll come back into vogue, hopefully sooner rather than later. But there are still young, willing people out there who are dying for an opportunity to go to the right company. Let me stress that, the right company. And your approach, if you're a baby boomer like myself, or maybe even a little younger than that, the enemy of this is thinking that they're not like you. And so I have a quick story to share about that. When we finally decided to build our own techs from scratch. So in other words, we took young, willing people with no skills, started them as apprentices, and worked them up our box work chart, which we called the ladders. So I had a Vietnam vet, good worker for us. You know, he, he had risen up the whole chain. His name was Tommy. And Tommy was helping me with these guys, get him through the training and the rest of it. And one day he comes to me, he goes, they don't want to work hard. They don't want to stay late. They don't want to do that. And I go, you know, Tommy, it's funny that you mentioned that because the older guys were telling me the same thing about you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is not new. And this is a classic line about, you know, is there a different communication style? My dad, who was a big mentor to me, obviously, because I went to work for him. One of the lessons that he shared with me is that he said, if you think people are going to do what you want them to do because you said so, you've been born to a boss 50 years too late because that ship has sailed. Nobody's doing anything. And this is decades ago until they know why. And they want to know two things. And he didn't call it a whiff because that wasn't an expression. But he goes, what happens if I do? What happens if I don't? And so this really fits into the management style. In my particular case, is taking young, willing apprentices and providing the skills is what do I get for doing that? Well, I get to climb the ladder. I get to build a career rather than a job. That was our whole number one way to differentiate ourselves as the employer of choice. I had 2,000 competitors on Long Island. And no, it was a couple of million in population. So this is not an exaggeration. Actually, you know, I only knew that because a good friend of mine who was in the industry, when I was complaining about that, he goes, you know, Al, instead of complaining about your customers, Daphne and the rest of the stuff, why don't you think about this? Your customers woke up this morning. They could have called 2,000 other people, but they chose you. So why not think of it as an honor? And it really, that was that perspective changed me, Ryan. But you said something that I want to go back to because when you said it to me, first thing that went through my mind, I'm sure went through a lot of our listeners' minds. This is great to tell these kids that there's an opportunity for a career path and everything else, but I'm small. I've only got a few trucks on the road. It's not like they get to go climb the corporate ladder and be a supervisor and estimator and salesperson. Like they can go all these different places. We're just a small contractor. Like, what do you say to someone like that when you say, hey, give these guys a career path and talk to them about how they climb up that box chart? You know, that's a great point. Obviously, I've worked with some of the largest companies in this country. I've worked in the United States and Canada when I was doing one-to-one, -one, which I did as my second career <laughs> for 20 years. You know, my programs are online these days. I don't know why, but in December 2019, I was flying back from a monster job, a great electrician in Huntsville, Alabama, had eight shops. 
I just decided, you know, it's never going to get better than working with him and this garage door guy that was also 30 something shops. And I said, you know, I'm just going to put my, I already had my products online and that's really what I did. The point of this whole thing is I've worked with at one-to-one, there was a guy who was the same age as me. We went to work with him when he was in his sixties and he was at the dining room table with me. His wife was in the next room. That was the accounts receivable accounts payable, playing with the kids on the floor, grandchildren. There was a guy out in his garage playing CSR and dispatcher and one tech, which happened to be his son. He took the systems, the org chart, the manuals, and the training, built himself a training center as directed. He got to the point where he had 12 techs. He had apprentices becoming junior techs, junior techs becoming senior techs, senior techs becoming field supervisors so that he could go to a second location and they could run it the same way. So you do need to explain Yes, you're arriving here today. So what did I mean by this? As you keep moving, as we keep bringing more people in, they're not a threat to you. This was something I had to learn. I just assumed they'd be thrilled that people were coming. But the great news of my company is I had people that were not afraid to tell me stuff to my face that they knew I wouldn't like, as any good New Yorkers would know. And so he would say to me, he goes, we're not bringing anybody to help you fill the staff, because if they don't work out, you're going to blame us. Plus, they're going to take our calls away from us. And that was really, really important because until I proactively addressed that, I couldn't even get my recruiting program. And I had a recruiting program years ago about bringing somebody, you know, we'll train, we get X amount of dollars, stay six months, get X amount of dollars, make a full year, get X amount of dollars. And then I had to explain based on the org chart, which is really what makes it come to life, is you right now are senior tech and you are never going to be a field supervisor until we bring more people in behind you so that you can be that field supervisor or be a service manager or take over you know, the install manager box or become a big ticket salesperson, what I call a system advisor, you're stuck. So you have to help me do this together. And I've done it in very small companies. So that was a great point that you brought up. I didn't want to just like go over that. Well, I think a key piece to what you said was that visual for the technician to look at. It's not just lip service. It's like, I have a plan even though it's just this box org chart, like I have a plan, here's what it looks like. And when you help me execute on this plan, you help me build this company up, there's opportunity for you. So it's almost like, you know, and I hear that a lot of times, well, my techs don't really care how big the company is. I'm like, well, they, they kind of do. because that... Well, it's your job to let them know why they should care. Like what I just said before, you know, that's this org chart, you know, people look at the box org chart, especially small companies, and you go, well, I got all these boxes. I, you know, I don't have all these people. I go, nobody has all the people fill up. I've worked with 200 employees. People's names are in different things. So the first org chart I talk about is a box org chart. It is a very flat chart. And the idea is it has these steps or ladders as you move up the company. It's a very clear top line flat manager. So there isn't a million layers to go through. And I've worked with some monster companies in multiple locations. We try to preserve that. There's no CIO, CTO, CFO, CEO, any alphabet soup that you want. That's not about the boxes it takes to run the company. And there are some key things about that, which is on those boxes, there's two boxes that you, Mr. or Ms. or Mrs. Owner, whoever you are out there, you are never leaving these two boxes. One is marketing manager and the other is financial manager. And the reason I always say this is because if we don't have more calls than we can humanly do in a day from the right customer at the right time, then we have a problem and nothing else is going to fix it. So you're in charge. You don't have to be great at marketing. You have to be great at making sure the marketing is effective. 
And the financial manager is ultimately it's your money. And there are so many sad tales about where your wool gets pulled over the eyes of the owners because they thought they could just hire somebody from the outside and they'll make it all go because you know what? I'm not really good at numbers. Well, welcome to the crowd. I'm not great at numbers either, but I'm good enough to know what I need to know when somebody's giving me a load of, let me say, BS. (laughs) I know it's interesting you say that because you know we've actually worked with people who have had that wool pulled over their eyes and actually it's hurt them and it's sad, but it probably happens more than we know about. Oh, it happens a lot. And it's kind of like they talk about being hacked. There are two companies, companies who know they've been hacked and companies who've been hacked, but they don't know. And so until you know your numbers, until you're doing live budgeting, until you know, you know, can trust what's being handed up to you and it's coming to you in a timely manner, can't fill it. But the point about these boxes is it, why should I care as an employee? Well, it tells me where am I today with your company? It tells me where I can go tomorrow. It tells me who is my real boss, because everywhere I walk in this office, somebody yells at me. (laughs) That's really very demoralizing. And the last thing is, if I need help, who can I legitimately go to for that help? Now, the better you have operating manuals, which is how you do it. So when I think about the box or jar, I always call it the bingo board to run your business. And then how do you cover the squares is an operating manual for each of those boxes. And ultimately, the manager's role, because when I would show up to the big fancy companies, I go, what should my managers be doing? What should my managers do? And I go, nothing, which you can imagine paying me a lot of money. They weren't happy to hear that. And I said, what I mean by that is nothing right now, because until the manuals are in for the bottom row of the org chart, which is like the base of a pyramid, their job is to make the people that report to them accountable to the manuals they have, and then start filling the ranks with more good people. And that's really where we're going to cross into the staffing power. So one thing I do want to tell our listeners is I know that Al's talking about this Barks org chart a lot. Even me, I'm like, I haven't seen this thing yet. I need to see this. You're going to have an opportunity to get one at the end of the show. So just hang tight and listen to this because I think what, what we're talking about here is the foundational work that you need to do as the owner to be able to go out there and find and attract great tech. So I want to get back to the technicians. I know you've got a new course coming out too on this. And so I'd love for you to touch on that. But one or two things that our listeners can do, like and they're probably all sitting behind the windshield right now listening to this. And they're like, what's the one thing that they can do when they get back to the office that they go, that made my life better when it came to finding text? I know you've probably got dozens of them. Yeah, but I got to tell you right now, the biggest thing to understand is comes in a story because I wasn't born enlightened. I have made every mistake that you can even think of. I've fallen in every hole. And the only thing I will give myself and my family credit for is when we climbed out, we went, man, that hurt. Let's not do that again. But I've watched contractors all over the place and all different sizes, by the way. It's not a small company size thing. Fall in the same hole. This stepping thing will come again. It will be solved for and you get comfortable and it will come again. You are people going out with no systems and getting spied because you got one magic person that will go away. This is the cycle of business. So you need to attach to being what we were not. Oh, by the way, I always say this stuff is all funnier than it was when it actually happened to me. (laughs) But one of the things is we used to get two weeks notice. We were in New York City Union shop. We get two weeks notice and that was great. You know, at least we had some time to plan. One week was still okay. And sometimes they'd leave the keys on the dashboard and we'd have to go, are they gone? So we we didn't really much know. And my brother, Marty, the inside guy, he nicknamed our hiring practice as the mirror test. And I spell it because my accent messes it up. M-I-R-R-O-R, mirror. 
which he meant was if you fog the mirror, you were hired. No matter what time it was, because we were reactive and never proactive. So if you want to change this staffing equation, this is the biggest takeaway is becoming proactive versus reactive. And I have five steps to that, which is always recruiting. We didn't do any of it until somebody left. And now we're in desperation. So we had no plans for this. Always recruiting, always hiring, always orienting. We didn't even know how to spell orienting. (laughs) We didn't even know that was a step. Always training. And here's the big one, always retaining. So you're filling up your company with a bathtub, think like a plumber, a bathtub full of great people. But there's a drain wide open if you don't attach, how do you keep them on the team, the good ones? And that's the drain that you have to slow down. So that's the big step, retaining. And thinking of it, and the first word I said to every one of that was always. And somebody said, well, I have enough people. Really? You got enough people? I bet there are two knuckleheads at your company that you're dying to get rid of, but you won't. And it was the same with me. Plus, things happen. I have a great story. If I have a second to tell a story, great company in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, he got to about seven techs, which is where life gets better. And they were doing really good. We had all the systems in. He had seven really great techs. And then life felt good. Well, that was until one guy didn't want to live in the big town of Des Moines. He went back to a population of 9,000. Another guy decided he didn't want to do any on-call. He goes to work at a utility plant. So all of a sudden, there's one more quits, and he's got down to four. And I told him, you have a problem, not just because all that money went out the door and the ability to handle your calls. They're going to have you over the barrel. Here's what you have to do is you have to take on-call shift. And here's what I want you to tell them, because they're going to hold you accountable what I'm saying next. Go in front of them and go, I'm going to take the on-call shift to help out. But here's what you need to know. We are never going to be here again. We are going to be 20 techs in two years. We have all the manuals. We have the training center. We have the training curriculum. We are going to do this together, and it's going to be good for all of us. And I don't know why he picked two years. Because in two years, he had 20 texts, two zero. Yeah. You know, I tell people, it's one of those things too. You got your seven guys and everything's going great. And I don't know, and this is a long time ago for me, but I know people can remember back to this. When you were sitting there in school and you took a test, and if you were one of the fast ones, you got done first. You always sat there and you're like, what did I miss? You know, right? Like when you're waiting for someone else to get up <laughs> and turn the test in, right? And then as soon as one person turns it in, like seven people yes. beeline to turn the test in. They were all sitting there waiting. And the same thing happens. I've seen it happen so many times. The first guy leaves and every other guy goes, huh, maybe there's something else that I need to be looking at. Maybe there's something else that I should be pursuing. And then all of a sudden, like dominoes, you lose three or four techs overnight and you're like, I wasn't ready for that. No question about it. And even in myself, I tell the story usually in seminar and workshops. I gave my brothers and my dad three years notice. Don't pull over to the side of the road and hurt yourself. I said three years notice because a couple of reasons. I was not going to leave my brothers in a tough place. I was not going to leave my dad in a tough place. But also I was going and I wasn't coming back. And I made, I made sure all of my systems, planning, operations, staffing, sales, sales coaching, marketing, finance, what I talk about in my book, The Seven Power Contractor, that this was all rock solid. I brought in great people, trained them on our systems, did all this. And I had a strategy for people that were going to be taken over. One of my install manager, I had him really groomed for everything. Two months before I'm ready to go, he comes to me and he goes, I really feel really bad, but I'm going to go work for a manufacturer's rep. And in that moment, I said to myself, if I were my employees and not me, what would I be thinking? And instantly it came to me, Al's leaving. Jake's leaving. Maybe I should go with them. 
So I pulled them all into a big meeting and I said this to them. I learned from sales about how to raise the objection. I said this to them. I'm leaving. You guys all know that. I've given you plenty of notes. Jake is leaving for a good opportunity and we wish him well. But if I were you, I'd be thinking maybe I should go, which was not what they thought they'd be hearing. I said, but here's what you haven't taken into account. I'm gone and out of the way. This career is now much more available to you. Jake is leaving. This career is much more available to you. Here's the thing, though. People say to me, why do you text right now? Well, really? What a shock. Here's what I'm going to tell you is my good co-consultant, Ellen Rohr, great financial person. She turns to me one day when we're riding in the car together on a thing and she goes, Al, when's the best time to plant an oak tree? And I go, I'm from New York. I don't even know what an oak tree is, but what do you want to tell me, Ellen? She goes, 10 years ago and today, because this will come again and again. So when I talk about your org chart, your salary levels being together, your manuals covering, because without the manuals, you can't leverage your company. And then that spills into staffing power, which is being able to take young, willing apprentices with no skills and get them hired up. For instance, I had five install crews running every day. I had 25 techs. We had five install crews a day. The rest were service techs. These five crews needed helpers, apprentices, and they hated when I would give them new people. So we had a talk. I go, what do you want me to get them to do? He goes, they actually said to me that these are the set of skills. Like we want them to be able to mix cement. We want them to be able to thread pipe. Now, of course, it's ProPress. We want them to know the sizes of these fittings. So when we tell them to go get something, they gave me a list. It was about a page long. We created the first five days that you're at the company, a complete list of what you had to learn as an apprentice. And actually, it was that good screener because we're looking for young and willing. And if you're not picking up and you don't have any hand skills, we love you, but you're not working here. And those spots, by the way, we hired more than we could actually use apprentices because we knew it was going down a narrow path. Either they were going to go or we were going to make them go. Either way, it was going to happen. So when I would go to my goal in hiring, I was looking for five apprentices I could make into junior techs. When I went to class, it would be a four-month class, very structured things that we did so that they could get out with our operations manual, which is if it was two inches thick, they could do about an inch of it safely. And then if they proved for six months to a year, they could do it. They came back and we took them through junior tech to senior tech, where we teach them the rest of those tasks. So we teach them sales, the sales system, the operational system, and the technical system if you're a service tech. And if you're an installer, communication systems, operation systems, and the technical things it takes to be a really good installer. You know, it's interesting what you're saying there, because we coach something very similar. I think everybody that comes to me, they needed text yesterday, right? Like, duh. <laughs> Just like you said. But then I always bring up this idea of apprentices or developing training programs. I'm like, no, I need a skilled tech with the experience. And I always ask them, I say, how much of the work that your tech is doing on a regular basis is actually unskilled work? You know, like unloading the truck, loading the truck, like all these gopher type things. You can get somebody for half their wage to help them with this. He can get more jobs done in less time, higher quality, because he's just focused on the skilled stuff, not filling out the paperwork, not in your CRM, all that other stuff. And this got this other kid's learning this whole time. There's no question about that. Plus, got to a point where we're at work long enough. All of our good conversations came at the stupidest time of the night, which was like 2 a.m. My brother Richie and I were the last two techs standing of the whole shop. And we're in the office and my brother says to Richie says, why don't they do this? And why don't they do this? And why don't they do that? And finally, I just looked at him because I was exhausted. And I go, if they could do all of that, why would they be here? They'd be down the road in a white truck doing whatever it is. You get the whole employee. 
And that means willing, unwilling, skilled, not skilled, you get the whole thing. So why don't we start with young, willing, unskilled people and have the ability to get them skilled up, but trained our way. Now that leans on the manuals heavily. So there's a technician manual that is very critical, but here's what it is. It tells me what I do as a tech from the time I wake up in the morning to the time I go to bed, other than the plumbing, heating, cooling, electric, carpentry, commercial roofing, kitchen cabinetry, garage door. These are just a list of some of the programs that I've worked with companies to do this. Believe it or not, that's helpful to have those work manuals, trade manuals, I call it. It's not as important as the CSR manual doing their job, taking the call, maximizing it, handing off to the dispatcher right, getting it all out to the tech right, and closing the loop so the customer doesn't feel forgotten is getting all the information from the tech back to the dispatcher. That is where companies are broken. And this is your opportunity to fix that. Those manuals there. I mentioned earlier about that class you know, that we went to as 25-year-olds, my brother and I, every day to 50. So we said, well, we got to build a hands-on training center. So we did. We put a hands-on training center. And sure enough, a year or two later, my brother is calling me from the field. He goes, hey, didn't you show them how to do motor rotation? I go, I did, but they're out of the field for a year or two. There was nothing to lock into. So we had to back up and write those manuals. And when we got done, Ryan, we realized we had built a training center all wrong because the manuals and the table of contests tells you the tasks that you need to train them on. And that is what you have to build the training center. And there's a lot of stuff about training centers. Guys tend to build it rough or they make like light bulbs or they have wiring diagrams. Here's what I can tell you from building no less than 50 of them. They get really good at moving wires around, which has got nothing to do with what you do. Your little boards on the wall is not how they're going to learn it. That has to be and feel and touch like whatever you have in the field. We've done this with power washers, everyone, same thing. I think we were talking about that when I saw that, I don't know, it was a 60 minutes or something, and they loosened the intake on the top of the water heater years ago. And they brought all these plumbers out and they're like, see, all plumbers, they just want to rip you off. And I'm like, how often does that really happen in the field? And I tell our clients too, like, if you're going to build any kind of training, make sure it's real world stuff. Don't sabotage things that don't get sabotaged out in the real world. Yes. Plus, I want to put old relics in, Ryan, which is, you know, I'm trying to teach them the best of it. If you want to make a class, take out the brand new thing, put the old thing in, teach them a lesson and get it out of there. But I've gone to shops where they have all these dead skeleton things and go, look, inside, you see where it's broken? Well, you can't do that on the job. I made one mistake in my last thing, which is the plumbing. We made a beautiful tile, looked like you were going to a kitchen, bathroom, you know, shower, the whole thing. And we said, well, let's put a Lucite panel in so they can see what's behind it. They get out to the job site and they're looking for the Lucite panel. (laughs) I know when I tell clients, do not do this. They see the picture, do not do this. And sure enough, they do the same thing. It's just hysterical, you know? Yeah, so I have a question for you. And I don't know if you have the answer for this. I think everybody wants the answer. So if you don't have one, that's okay. But you say, find guys that are willing and unskilled. And where I get hung up on is nobody's willing anymore. Like nobody wants to work. Everybody's entitled and just wants a paycheck for no work. Like where do you find these willing kids? Yeah, so there's two aspects to that. Let's blow up the myth, first of all. Don't look at me and think how old I am. Think of all of what I have built all around, including I was in the Zoom Drain franchise, which was coast to coast. I was one of the co-founders of that. Our techs are nothing but millennials and now moving to Gen Xers. Nothing but that, whatever you've already labeled them to be. They are the best employees ever. There is a difference. They will not do anything until they know why. So if you don't share the vision of why we do what we do, 
what Ellen said it great to me many years ago and turned it into my part of my sales seminar at the end. And I always get emotional because it's true. But she said it elegantly is we as plumbers and drain cleaners keep bad water from good water. Before we did that, people died of the plague. We wrestle lightning and make all your housework with electrical. We keep you warm in the winter. We keep you cool in the summer. Are you asking if we're important? The answer is a screaming yes. And so when they know the why of what they do, and again, that career that is spelled out in the org chart and where they can go and grow, because why come to you if you're just giving me a job? That's what they want to know. They want to know that it means something. They want to know that it does. And you have to be able to communicate where they communicate. What has changed from when I did interviews many, many years ago is I would talk, 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 talk in a selling proposition to get them to come. Later on, as I learned to get better at sales, sales is about asking good questions and shutting up and letting them talk and sell themselves. But I had a lot to show because I had this training center. I had these manuals and I knew anywhere they were going to go for another interview, they're coming back to me if they have any shot, any chance at all that they're interested in this trade. But the thing about it is you need to be reaching out in new ways. You can say, well, I run something on Indeed. They go to Glassdoor and they know what kind of company you are. I've started to find, even at the end of my own career, they were more prepared for the interview than I was at times because they've been online. They searched your website. If your website is not spectacular, they don't have tons of customer reviews and people who say how great you are. And then, of course, the section that has your texts, your CSRs, your dispatchers saying, you know, I didn't know anything. They gave me a career. I love it. I was doing a thing with our Zoom drain guy, literally came from a mailroom. He had had a bunch of dead end jobs, knew how to take a pay cut to get started as our apprentice. He ended up going from apprentice to junior tech, senior tech, to field supervisor, to service manager. Today, he is the GM. And that is not a lone story about making true on this. But, you know, he really talked about, and it still resonates with everyone that comes in, the authenticity of that. And at my own company, the quote unquote kids I trained 20, 30 years ago are now, you know, the top sales guys, sales manager at all these big levels. And if you ever hope to hub and spoke, which means we had a main shop and we had three satellite operations. You need to have systems and you need to have a field supervisor who's been trained on all of those systems to go run that. I was telling this story in, a, in another podcast, right, to a couple of good friends. And I said, you know, most people couldn't run their company the same if they went across the street and they started to laugh. And I go, what's so funny? He goes, Al, we grew out of our own company. So we got the building right next door to us, exactly next door to us. And it was like we were on two separate sides of the globe without, that's, you know, so what I'm saying to is the ability to repeat. And I mentioned about that electrician and the garage door company. They're all the same. They're like Starbucks in the best way possible. Yeah, no, I love that. And I mean, Michael Gerber talks about that in his book, The Myth, right? The franchise model. It's really going to be able to duplicate and repeat that. But I want to go back to something you said, because I think it's so critical for everybody here right now. The, the big thing that has changed is the speed at which information flows. And we talked about that for a second. But I think you need to really understand that looking for a job now is kind of like dating in the 2020s, right? Like you get apps now and you swipe left or right. And that's the level of commitment that you need to decide if you're going to date somebody. I don't know about in your time, but back in my time, you either met someone at school, you met someone at work, you had to go out of your way to meet somebody. That's what you had to do. It was a commitment. It was an investment. But it's also an attention span, Ryan, that you bring up exquisitely about you have a nanosecond to get their attention and a nanosecond to lose it. So what am I going to get my impact? And I don't care what you say. This is the basic of all sales. 
you can tell me all day how great you are. You can show me every diploma or whatever you've achieved. What I really want is somebody that was me that's now moved up. In my interviews, when they would come in through the door for hiring, part of my interview process with these new apprentices, I go, you know, I've been talking to you. I'm going to give you the tour, but here's what I want you to know. I've asked one of my field supervisors who was just like you. He's going to come in here. I'm leaving. You can ask him any question you want. You can do anything you want. He's not going to be reporting back to me. But when you come on board, you have your eyes wide open about what it is. And I even used to tell them, because I got to the point, again, I had way more than I could humanly use. And the good news is the better as I got as a trainer, and the same thing is repeated with all my clients, the better they get at the staffing program, the better magically the people that come out are. Yeah, no, I think there's so much to it. And I think just to wrap things up, as we do here, I just want to repeat a couple of things that I heard that I think are really going to be important to our listeners. So whether you were driving and mentally taking notes or actually sitting down and taking notes, I think the big thing is, is to really understand what your org chart looks like. And you're going to have an offer for them so that they can get a copy of that box org chart that you were talking about. I think the other thing too, is to really understand your processes. And you talked a lot about the manuals, but more importantly, you talked about what are the things that these guys are really doing in the field? And that's the stuff that's really important. And we need to train on real world stuff, not putting the Lucite window on the wall. Or or some dead carcass of a heating unit you drag back to the shop that's not connected to anything. Yeah, so we got to train them through real world stuff. And a couple of things that are really near and dear to my heart, because a lot of what we do in our program is around sourcing. How do you find these willing people? How do you find the skilled techs? And I think becoming attractive to those you want to attract is really important. You mentioned that with the websites, the reviews, the employee testimonials. Online is so important to those. You need to go where they are. So years and years and years and years and years ago, it was a newspaper that they would read, not the newspaper I was necessarily reading. And, you know, but this is the kind of thing we did work with trade schools. We went to a bunch of different places. And what I want people to understand is I always talk about recruiting is marketing. So you're very busy marketing to get new customers. Put the same effort into marketing to get good, young, willing staff. If I have one second, I have a question that usually comes up. What's that? How do I know if they're willing in the interview? Yeah. Okay. This was not me, by the way. I found this from another guy that I worked with. I actually paid him so that I could use this. I said, how do I know that they're willing? He goes, go through all your questions. Halfway down through the questions, look up and say this. You know, Ryan, this is going to sound funny. But part of our interview process is I'm going to ask you to sing. And I know that could be embarrassing. So I'm going to start you off and you're going to join in. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And when I heard this originally, when the guy was on the stage, I turned to another New Yorker buddy of mine. I go, that is the stupidest thing I ever heard. And he turned to me. He goes, six months ago, I thought it was. But I'll tell you right now, I'll never hire again. Every one of my customers that have done it have found willing people. Yeah, that's fantastic. It is. It works great. I love that one. I love that one. Yeah. So I think there's so many opportunities. Yes, being online is so critical right now. It's where 90 plus percent of job seekers go. And the ones that don't go there are probably because they're related to you or you met them out at the bar like you did it the old school way. Right. But other than that, they're online and they're looking at you and they're looking at the competitor and they're going, hmm, which one do I want to plant my flag at? So Al, this has been great. One thing I want to ask too is you talked a lot about these process manuals. So I want to make sure that our listeners get that right box org chart, but 
how do they get these process managers? Like, is there a way to contact you? Is there an online program? Yeah, you can reach me at al at the number seven powercontractor.com. Al at seven powercontractor.com. And on the website, you'll see under products, this is a whole program there. But if you go to my website, sevenpowercontractor.com, right at the bottom is chat. What I offer, Ryan, and this has been from the day I got into this business, I offer a free 30 minutes to any contractor. It's really pretty simple to do that. And it's not a sales call. It is my give back to the great mentors that came in my life. I'm only where I am today because of them. I never get that confused. And I told Ryan in our early interview, if not for great mentors, this guy would be in a basement still turning wrenches till late in the night. Not a pretty sight. Got it. So go to your website, check that out. And the org chart will be there as well. And we're going to have a link. I'll give them the uh, the link that they need. And they're welcome to reach out to me. And actually the manuals and the org chart, there's a page that has all of that on it. Awesome. And we'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes. So if you are in the car, when you get back to the office, check out the show notes. We'll have all the links there. Al, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. I mean, I see we could do a couple more of these. I would love it. Staffing all of these is a big thing. I know you and I have the same passion to make life better for guys. Yeah. Once your staffing course comes out, I really want to know more about that. So we'll probably have to have you on for that as well. So thanks again, Al. I've really enjoyed it. If you're listening right now, make sure you get to the website, get in those show notes and get a free copy of that org chart. Thanks, Al. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.